0: Today's guest has endured a shocking hospital experience and now works to wake up the public when it comes to hospital errors and the need for a patient advocate. He is L. Bradley Schwartz. In 2004, Brad presented to the local emergency room with a worsening headache. Over the course of many hours, he got worse and went into septic shock. Upon awakening from a month-long coma, all four of his limbs were amputated. It turns out the ER missed all the warning signs of sepsis and a simple antibiotic would have halted and reversed the progression of the disease. Brad remained hospitalized for six months and participated in physical rehabilitation for a year. And he currently uses prosthetic legs and arms. And after a few years back at work as a lawyer, he started to combine his litigation skills with his knowledge of hospitals, insurance companies, and healthcare. He joined amputee support groups and began volunteering at hospitals in Chicago. His law practice evolved to include the representation of people with substantial healthcare-related challenges. And today, he's an attorney, a patient advocate, and the founder of Greater National Advocates, a nonprofit public awareness organization with a mission to wake up the nation to the life-saving benefits of independent patient advocacy. And Brad will tell you more about Greater National Advocates and what it's all about, but you should know that it's a personal mission for him because he knows that advocates save lives. And as we'll probably tell you, he wouldn't have lost his limbs if he had one with him in the ER back in 2004. And Brad is also a contributor to my upcoming charity, Patient Safety Anthology, titled Highway to Heart, Humor and Honesty in Healthcare, due to be published in late spring, early summer. So let's get going. Welcome to the show, Brad.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, thank you for being here. You have quite the message to share, and I'm very interested to hear your story. So before we share your current venture of Greater National Advocates, I think it will be helpful to put you and your work into perspective. If you would share your story, I gave a little peek here, but to share your story as to why patient advocacy is so important to you.
1: Well, the short answer is that when I went into the hospital back in 2004, my experience as a lawyer allowed me to learn a little bit about the medical profession because the type of litigation that I was doing, it was medical related. So it brought me in contact with a lot of doctors and nurses and hospitals. I took depositions. I cross-examined. It wasn't out of the ordinary at all for me to speak up in the face of a doctor and challenge the doctor. But when you're the patient, you kind of freeze and all your training, all of your experiences, anything that you would ever tell a client to do or not do, you, you ignore all of those rules because you're in a vulnerable position. I found myself in that vulnerable position. I had friends and family with me, a handful of people by my side, They were too close to the situation as well, and people were wondering why I wasn't getting the care that I should have been getting, why the doctors weren't coming in, why when the new nurses took over, they they didn't really seem to be paying attention. So I'm convinced that if I would have had somebody knowledgeable with me back in the emergency room, that I probably could have gotten somebody's attention to get me the treatment that I needed in order to save my limbs. When I woke up from the coma, they told me I was lucky to be alive, and that's true, but everything happened right in front of them, and it it should never have gotten to that point in the first place.
0: What a situation, and what a situation to have to look back on and say, oh, if only. So obviously, that's what drives you. Your goal now is to transform patient advocacy into an indispensable component of modern healthcare to reduce medical harm through public awareness that's a big job to tackle. Um, How are you doing this?
1: Let me just say first that nobody knows what patient advocates are. And, you know, frankly, I didn't know what patient advocates are. It wasn't really until I went back to work, started going to do the lawyer thing again after my misdiagnosis ordeal. I wanted to find a way to um, prevent medical errors from happening. I didn't know how to do it because, you know, as a lawyer you get phone calls and everybody just wants to sue hospitals and doctors, but it doesn't really help when there's not really a, a case. And I find out that most of the people that have a complaint with the medical system or with the way they've been treated by a hospital or a doctor, they feel that the only avenue is litigation because they don't know that there are people out there that are all over the country that are qualified to actually consult with patients and families and help them communicate with their doctors. So it's an uphill battle. It's a challenge. But as with any new profession, it needs to be explained to the public in a way that they can handle it and digest it and understand it. And then, you know, reach out and use the services. That's why I started Greater National Advocates, because I'm just convinced that there are people across the entire country and the world, for that matter, that want to help, have credentials to help, whether they're coming from a nursing background or a medical background or social work or just from uh, having experience helping others or been through something themselves. If they have the ability to help people in need, I want their services to be known.
0: And I also want to make a clarification that most hospitals do have a patient advocate on staff, and that is not the advocate we are talking about because that person is being paid, is hired as an employee of the hospital. So to get totally impartial care, plus they can't be a patient advocate for everyone in the hospital. So I just wanted to make that clear.
1: Yeah, that's a big uh, component of the mission. My belief is that everybody that goes to work for a hospital and takes that job as a patient advocate, they don't go in there saying, Oh, I can't go. I can't wait to go be a patient advocate and go answer to the hospital. They go in there thinking that they're actually going to be helping patients. So independent patient advocates, which is what I'm a proponent of, work with the hospital patient advocates, the hospital sh- social workers. And I believe that the institutional or the hospital employed patient advocates of today are the independent patient advocates of tomorrow, just like anything else.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I think so. I think there might be a little disillusionment along the way to say, hey, I'm not really doing what I thought I was going to be doing. And, and you're probably exactly right. They're kind of being groomed to be the future independent patient advocate. So, There are some other patient advocate sites out there. How is yours different?
1: There are sites out there because it's a new industry. I think the majority of the sites out there are geared toward the advocacy community and creating the partnerships that are needed and the education. And a lot of the sites out there focus on advocate-to-advocate types of services, training with the directory attached. But from a consumer standpoint, instead of doing that, which I think has been done and has been done well Mm -hmm. and should continue to be done well, I wanted to focus on one thing and one thing only, and that is getting the word out to the people that have no clue that patient advocates exist. And in order to do that, it needs to be centralized, focused. You need to rely heavily on the words independent patient advocacy. There's nomenclature problems uh, all over the country and even within specific areas regarding how patient advocates or healthcare advocates or health navigators or health coaches, how they refer to themselves and what they call themselves. That's kind of why I'm trying to concentrate more on what the advocate can do for the patient as opposed to what they call themselves or what letters they have after their name because I think that from a business-to-business standpoint or an advocate-to-advocate standpoint or for a growing of the profession standpoint, those things are all fine and good and very, very important. But when it comes to just getting to the people that need the help, I want to be able to cut through all that and just explain to the public that there are people that do this. They're called independent patient advocates. You should call one and here they are. Mm -hmm. That's why the whole mission and the only mission really is awareness and providing the means to connect with an advocate without doing any of the credentialing, certification, training, all the other things that are in place that have allowed me to feel comfortable and confident that there's enough advocates out there that are qualified that I could launch a portal like this. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. So do you do any vetting or screening as to who is accepted on the site?
1: I think any site out there has to do some sort of screening, and we've taken heed of what other people have done, not only in this industry but you know across the board. But it's an incredible balance that you really have to mm-hmm. try and work through because I know some incredible advocates out there who, for example, don't have the current credentials mm-hmm. that a lot of advocates are getting. I'm talking about board-certified patient right. advocates. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of R.N. P.A.s out there that are highly qualified, and there are medical doctors. There's lawyers. There's social workers and and there's lay people who are really, really good at this. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're asking a really good question, I think, about what is an advocate and who is an advocate. It's something that I struggle with every single day. I posted something not long ago on social media alluding to the fact that the housekeepers in the hospital are patient advocates, you know. They're the ones that are, that can pass along information that shouldn't be written off as just, you know, empty and garbage. Everybody that works in, in a hospital or a medical or a healthcare setting has seen something and has something to offer. So, but when it comes to vetting, I mean, what do we require? We require experience in some health related field, some experience, some demonstrable experience. There are insurance requirements for people that are practicing as well. But again, I don't know that that's even uh, necessarily the the best indicator in the world Mm -hmm. as to competence. So this is an area that's going to need to really grow and it's going to require a real good understanding from a lot of different people about what an advocate really, really is. Mm
0: Oh, I appreciate this conversation, and I didn't ask that question to be flip or anything. I think it really opened up a very important conversation, and you must be in my, you must be at my studio here, looking over my shoulder because I, I, I wrote a note here to talk with you about, and I was going to preface it by saying I was going to make a huge lane change because I wanted to talk about housekeepers because I do think the system misses the boat with these hierarchy perceptions because when it comes to issues, let's just say like cross contamination. An environmental services person has the ability to save more lives in a room full of surgeons, yet they are paid the least, they have the least amount of training, and they are offered little respect, both by healthcare staff and patients. And often, housekeepers spend more time actually looking at and speaking to a patient or a family member than many doctors or nurses. So why mm-hmm. not why not add them to the in-house advocacy group, so to speak, and seek out and value their input?
1: Right, exactly. I'm trying to do it, you know, and it could be a hard sell for advocates because we do have a lot of highly qualified advocates that have gone through education and training and have earned credentials. I mean let's be realistic. It's it's sometimes it could be a really hard sell to convince a patient advocate who's done all these things that they should be in the same database or directory for example as a house cleaner. But I don't know that I'm even really I, I don't even think that that's the right word. I mm-hmm. think it's probably the wrong word. It I is. mean we're talking about eyes and ears. Mhm. We're talking about people that can help. We're talking about caregivers, you know? Well, yep. I don't know. Yep. I, I just really think that everybody in the industry needs to work together and that we need to start uh, under, you know, we talk about patient-centered care and patient-centered this and patient-centered that. I think GNA is pointed in that direction, which is why we're not doing the advocate to advocate thing, because mm-hmm. we don't really want to be advocate-centered. We want to be patient-centered. patient-centered. Mm-hmm. That's why all the messaging is geared toward the patients and families. Again, I've thought about this at length and talked to a whole bunch of people about it at length as to, you know, who's qualified to offer help or assistance to get somebody through a tough time. And what I find is that once you reach out and you make that initial phone call, you're going to get somebody who may or may not be able to help you, but your chances are improved so much that if even if this person can't help you, they're going to be able to get you to somebody that can. It's kind of like getting into a alternative universe or into a different system system of people out there who do have a common interest in helping people. And that's why it's important for me to get as many people listed on the site as possible, whether or not they're board certified or not, for example, because they might be studying for the test. They might be thinking about the test. But they might know somebody that or, or they can do it themselves. You know, they, they might already be there. But I'm just a firm believer that in order to lift the entire industry up and, and get the best benefit to the most people, we need to include as many patient advocates as we can.
0: I understand what you're saying. I mean, I am not a board certified patient advocate, but, but after spending four intense months in the hospital with my mom and then a decade being her advocate, I'm one darn good advocate and I don't have any letters after my name. So I understand exactly what you're saying. And back to housekeepers, I don't know that they would necessarily want to be on your site or list, but it sure is something that the hospital system can employ without adding another dollar to it i mean just just give these people the respect and ask for their input and you know put them out there as an extra set of eyes and ears and then value what it is that they say kind of change the culture of the hospital a little bit as far as hierarchy uh and perceptions go and there you've got a whole built-in staff so i just think it's just another way to add another level of advocates and you know what? If everyone, Brad, brought an advocate with them, healthcare practices and systems would have to change. If it became mainstream that there was another set of eyes and ears almost looking over everybody's shoulder, I would think things would have to change for the better.
1: Well, they're not changing on their own. And frankly, I've traveled all over the country from conference to conference, organization to organization. There's study after study, protocols suggestions, just all kinds of talk about how we're going to get to zero medical harm and all of these ideas where people get together and meet and discuss. Mm -hmm. You know, I've got to tell you that none of it really seems to be working. You know, sepsis, for example, is going in the wrong direction despite just coming off of sepsis survivors week and then we're going to have sepsis awareness week and you know, everything else. It just, it blows me away that sepsis is still number three, isn't it? But the point is that it's not getting any better on its own. And I think that all of the groups that are interested in improving healthcare need to get behind patient advocates because advocates are the ones that are actually going into the hospitals on a daily basis. They're the ones that can carry for example the message of patient safety, which for whatever reason is different from patient advocacy, which is something else I don't understand. We tend to create our own little industries here and then you find yourself in the same position as the entire medical profession mm-hmm. with their little subspecialties that don't communicate with each other. You know, there are different words being invented all the time of different types of people that provide care. The latest it used to be that there were physician's assistant was the next thing. Now they're, they're starting to call themselves vague terms, like just what, clinicians or something. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what, what yeah. what's going on. <laughs> but uh, as care gets complex and, and as more people need to communicate with each other, That's where the error rate increases and that's where the advocates are needed. So I'm just convinced that the the only way to change it is to to just go ahead and change it and start bringing people in there that can prevent the errors from happening or change the system Mm -hmm. from the inside by working for patients. I don't know.
0: Yeah, your frustration, I hear it because I say that all the time on my radio shows I complain about. It's like meeting after meeting and conversation and new words and shit and chat and everybody's talking about it and things are not getting better. They're getting worse. And so the conversation really, really has to end. And I tend to agree with you that if, you know, you bring this extra set of eyes and ears and a mouth to speak up when necessary, changes have to happen. And I don't know, do you think healthcare will ever reach a point then where we as patients do not need to bring someone with us in order to stay safe?
1: I hope we get to the point that it just becomes uh, commonplace. It, it becomes second nature. I want the forms in the hospital to eventually be changed so that when you go through registration or, you know, even triage for that matter, that they say, okay, what's your, give me your history. Give me your, are you allergic to any medicines? Who is your next of kin? Do you have a DNR? Uh, and who's your a- patient advocate? Mm-hmm. That should just be like a, a common question. And I'd like to get there. I want it to become a common everyday household term. Like when you burst a pipe, you call a plumber. Uh, when you get a ticket or you get charged with a crime or you get sued, you call a lawyer. Uh, right now nobody knows that when you have a medical procedure or a medical condition or a health insurance problem or a billing question or just a general well-being question, you have the right and the ability to have a patient advocate. Mm-hmm.
0: How is this paid for, Brad? If they're not covered by insurance, how could the average person afford to hire a patient advocate?
1: Really, really good question. I would say that it's a very, very, very big, juicy topic of conversation when it comes to this new profession. I think it's really, really tough unless you're living and serving a very, very elite, wealthy community to charge rates as high as some attorneys charge. I'm relying on the fact that greater national advocates is going to be covering the entire country and promoting advocacy throughout the entire United States, and there's going to be advocates all over the place that are going to be able to prove that they're doing a good job. When it comes to payments, one of the goals, and one of the primary goals, is to use the numbers that we're going to have and the national presence that we're going to have To start putting pressure on the people that could be paying for these services. And I'm referring specifically to employers. And when it comes to employers, I'm referring specifically to their uh, employee assistance programs and their employee benefit programs.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I believe, first of all, probably. 50% 50% or more of the employee benefit programs out there or the employee assistance programs, they call them, you know, they're nice little add ons that you pay a small premium for, if any, and nobody uses it because nobody knows they exist. And guess what? If these carriers or companies that are providing the employee benefit or the employee assistance programs are collecting money and nobody's using it. certainly not going to be the ones out there that are going to say, hey, if you have a medical problem, you should hire a patient advocate and we'll pay for it. Mm -hmm. I think it's up to us as patient advocates to educate the consumer that they might have an EAP that would pay for these services. And if they don't, they should be marching in there and demanding that they do. I don't think that this is a world-changing thing. There are credit cards out there that when you go on a vacation or something happens, they've got like hidden benefits that nobody knows about. Right. There are all different methods of breaking in, finding third, third party payers out there that are not employed or working for health insurance companies. One of the biggest avenues of a source of payment, at least when it comes to greater national ambits is going to be providing some sort of fund, at least in the beginning. I'd love to get some endowment from some sort of an institution that has a vested interest in keeping people healthy. And I can't think of a better type of organization than, for example, a life insurance company whose overall interest is making sure that their policyholders don't die so that they don't have to pay out benefits. I'd think that a big endowment from a MetLife or a New York Life or some big life insurance policy that has no conflict with health insurance Mm -hmm. would be a great way to get endowment uh, and make a good life insurance company look good for keeping people alive Mm -hmm. and probably getting benefit out of it. Uh, in the long haul, if they looked at their actuarial numbers, but you know, these are all again, action is what's going to drive it. These are my dreams. These are my aspirations from third party foundational grants to pay for it until it's, till it gets off the ground. Right now we're stuck with what we got. And thank God there's a lot of bleeding hearts out there that are not charging exorbitant fees to help people Mm -hmm. with, uh, minor problems.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, actions begin with dreams, Brad, so you are on the right track. I am in your corner here, and yeah, I think some changes need to be made, and I'm excited that I had this opportunity to at least bring this up to our listening audience. So as we begin to wrap up, is there anything that we missed that you wanted to highlight today?
1: Yeah, I would say that anybody that can help is an advocate, and therefore they should, and if they've been through something like you've been through or I've been through and the people that are listening to this, obviously they're listening for a reason. They should sign up and let the public know what their abilities are. And I err on the side at GNA of getting more people listed than excluding people from getting listed. I believe that once people make a call and get in there, even if the person they're calling can't help, they're going to, within a new community, made up of people that do want to help. Mm-hmm. And I'll say this: we're in the process right now of launching our new directory and it's supposed to cover the entire country and it does, but that doesn't mean that there's advocates in every area where they're needed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And we're testing right now the zip code functionality and it works problem is, and this is not only true with GNA, it's true with advocacy in general, and something needs to be done about this. It's the fact that if you're in Boise, Idaho, the closest advocate is going to be in Reno, Nevada. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, that's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we need to educate the advocacy community in those areas to get them on board also. I'd say one more thing real quick. I think we have a diversity issue and we need to bring in people that represent the communities that we serve. I don't know how to do it other than lead by example. And I would just encourage everybody out there to go to gnanow.org, click the button that says submit your profile, get listed, follow us, pay attention, spread the word, and together maybe we can make a difference. Wow.
0: Thank you, gnanow.org. There's no charge to include your name and your listing on your website, Greater National Advocates. We've been talking with Bradley Schwartz. I think you're just doing such fabulous work and you're really going to make a huge, huge difference in the lives of everybody. So uh, thank you so much for sharing you today. All right, thank you. Listen to Pat Rulo and Speak Up and Stay Alive radio. Stay safe from little-known health care and hospital hazards. To learn more, go to speakupandstayalive.com. That's speakupandstayalive.com.